0: Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. So each Christmas, the churches in London would send their representatives into the streets of London to invite the poor to a celebration. Every year, thousands of people would come to this celebration. The Catholics would announce, all who are Catholic, come with us. The Methodists and the Lutherans would say, all you who are Methodists and Lutheran, come with us. While the invitations were made, still there were countless people left out in those cold streets of London. William Booth shouted to the remaining people. He said, all you who belong to no one, come with me. That began the ministry that many of us know today is the Salvation Army. Booth believed that no matter who you are and what you've done or where you're at, that you matter, that you belong. I had a lot of time to think about this, Something I've discovered in my own life is it's incredibly painful when you find yourself in a place where you feel like you don't belong. It's incredibly difficult to find yourself in a place where you feel like you don't matter. I'm willing to bet that maybe you're here this morning and you might have grew up in a home and heard your parents remind you that you were simply a mistake. Maybe you're here this morning and you grew up feeling insignificant and were unwanted We're always told that you were a burden. Thus you probably began to tell yourself that you didn't matter and that you didn't belong. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been struggling with addiction. Something that you hoped maybe someone would come along and side you and help you, but instead all you faced is condemnation And criticism because you just can't get your life together like everybody else. So the message you tell yourself is is that you don't matter and you don't belong. Could be that you might be in a marriage this morning and you would give anything in the world to have your spouse tell you that they love you and that they need you. But instead, no matter what you do, no matter what you say, that you're just never enough. You feel really distant, and you feel alone, and so you begin to tell yourself that you do not matter and that you do not belong. High school students, listen to me. High school students, maybe you find yourself constantly on the outside of the inside. You're just never invited to be a part of the conversations that the cool kids have. You never really invited over for plans for the weekend. Maybe you've opened up once or twice about it to certain people, but all that seems to happen is it turns into gossip and people just make fun of you and criticize you even more, so you tell yourself, see, I told you, no one really cares. I do not matter. I do not belong. I really don't know what you came in here With today, but can I tell you that our vision here for First Baptist Church is that this would be a place where you belong. You see, you matter to God, and because you matter to God, you matter to us. And see, we're in this series called This Is My FBC. We've been talking about our mission, and we've been talking about our vision, and we shared our vision last week, and it's simply this. Our vision, what we see, is that we wanna provide a place to belong. We wanna provide a path to become and we wanna provide an opportunity to believe in the life-changing gospel of Jesus. Imagine what happens when we give our friends, when we give our family, we give our classmates, our coworkers, people we don't even know, imagine what happens when we provide them a place to belong. No matter what they're struggling with, no matter their political party, no matter their ethnicity, no matter their legal status, no matter their race. Imagine what happens when we as a church provide a place for people to belong. We're going to be looking at that this morning in John chapter 9, and John chapter 9 has got a lot of verses in it, so we're going to read it as we go along, unlike our traditional fashion But in John chapter 9, Jesus begins to teach us a little bit about what it means to give people a place to belong. Here's the first thing that we're going to learn this morning, and that is this, that we provide a place for people to belong when we see them the way Jesus sees them. You've heard that before, right? We provide a place for people to belong when we see them the way Jesus sees them. Now think about this. What's it like to always, always be under intense examination? I mean, from the time that you get up to the time that you go to bed, and even even through the night, you're always dealing with the judgments people make about you, and every word that you say, and every action that you do or don't take. Imagine being that person. You don't really have to imagine much because that was Jesus. Beloved, what was it like for Jesus to be under that constant kind of scrutiny? I mean, the one who came to offer acceptance was the one who was rejected. The religious people of Jesus' day were constantly trying to trick him. They were constantly listening in the synagogues for things to catch him up on. They were trying to trip him, trying to set him up, forevermore trying to tear him down. In the context of John chapter nine, we have to look at John chapter eight. In John chapter eight, Jesus is having an intense conversation with some Pharisees about who he really is. So he says in John chapter eight, verse 12, he says this. Then Jesus spoke again to them saying, I am the light of the world. And he who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. That's amazing. Jesus says, I am the light. That's awesome, Jesus. But then he goes on in verse 58 to say this. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. And at that, they picked up these stones to throw at him. Jesus, however, was hidden from them. I don't know how, but but he was hidden from them and he got out of the temple. And the first person, after Jesus has endured all this, the first person he comes along, ironically, is a blind man. This is a man who was born blind and has never seen light in any capacity. And here Jesus shows what can happen when light comes into darkness, when light goes into a world that's dark and helps people belong. So in John chapter nine, verses one through seven, we find these words. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. Now listen, here's here's the church and the world's usual response when we see people that are blind. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? (laughs) This man or his parents that he would be born blind? Jesus answered, it is neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. And while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of spittle and applied the clay to his eyes. And then he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went away and washed and came back seen. Now, did you catch it? Did you see the difference between how Jesus saw the blind man and how the disciples saw him? Did you, did you see it? No pun intended. I mean, Jesus sees a blind man who is broken. This blind man is hurting. This blind man is alone. Someone who needed at least somebody to care for him. But the disciples, you know what they're focused on? Here's their question. Here's what most of us are usually just focused on. Who sinned? See, beloved, I believe that that's a problem in the church. Too many times when we see people, the first thing we see is, is their sin. I mean, for some of us, people aren't dressed right. For some of us, people just don't talk right. They definitely don't act right. And if we're going to provide a place for people to belong, we have to see people the way Jesus sees people. So then how did Jesus see people? I mean, how does Jesus really see this blind man? I believe the Bible teaches me that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So let's go back to the very first people that Jesus saw. And how did he see them? See in Genesis chapter two, we have the first human crisis, and to some of our amazement, the first human crisis is not sin. The first human, first human crisis is found in Genesis two eighteen. The first human crisis is described this way: Then the Lord God said, "It is not good for the man to be alone." Did you see that? That's the first human crisis. Here, the first crisis is that man is alone. So when Jesus looks at people, he first sees them as alone. And then in Genesis chapter three, they fall into sin, and then Jesus sees them as sinful and fallen. We have to get the Bible right, and we have to get Jesus right to see this thing. When Jesus sees people, he sees them as both fallen, yes, But yes, very, very alone. The disciples could only see their sinfulness. But Jesus saw this man's aloneness. And Jesus most often removes people as aloneness before he ever deals with their sinfulness. And we as a church have got to get that right. You see, in John chapter 4, Jesus talks and ministers to a Samaritan woman. You've heard the story. She's an outcast, and Jesus doesn't focus on her sinfulness. He focuses on her aloneness. He sits with her. She's a Samaritan woman. That would have never happened. Jesus goes to this tax collector named Zacchaeus. You've heard me tell the story. Zacchaeus is a hated man, but Jesus says, Zacchaeus, what's it like to be that alone? I've got to go into your house today. Jesus removes his aloneness first and then deals with his fallenness. In John chapter eight, we see the woman caught in adultery. Can you imagine? I mean, can you imagine how the Pharisees have jacked this all up? They're supposed to bring both parties that are committing adultery out in the public, but they only bring the woman. Can you imagine how alone she is? There before everybody to see, she's just been dragged out of this, and there she is for everybody. But Jesus gets down in the dirt with her. You know why? Because that's where she was at, because she was alone. And Jesus removed her aloneness before he ever dealt with her fallenness. She needed acceptance and she needed love. She needed somebody to speak to her shame. And Jesus got on the ground with her and met her, met her need for acceptance and then said, where are those who condemn you? Neither do I. Now go and sin no more but it's after he removed her aloneness. So I want you to see here, if you see what Jesus sees, then you can love how Jesus loves. Too often we get caught up in judging people's sin and instead of removing their aloneness. I mean, how often do you see people's sin or their fallenness before you see their aloneness? You see, we're very good at seeing people for what they do instead of seeing them for who they are. I mean, you think about it. This is how culture works. If you steal something, we see you as a thief. If you lie, we see you as a liar. If you get caught with drugs, we, we see you as a druggie. If you spend time in prison, we call you a felon. I'm so thankful that Jesus, Jesus forever changed that. I am never defined by what I've done. My past, your past, your sin, it doesn't define you. Your failure is never final with Jesus. You are not what you've done or what you haven't done. You are who he says you are. And you, my friend, matter to Jesus. I mean, look look at this. Look at how Jesus responds to the disciples' question. Verse 2. The disciples says, Rabbi, who sinned? Jesus says, nobody sinned. This was so that God could get glory. And then he goes on to say, we must work the works of him who, who sent me as long as the day, because night is coming when no one can work. Jesus is saying that we're running out of time. That there's something we should be living for. There's something that we should be focusing on. We must do the works of Jesus. And in a very big picture statement, please don't try to pick this apart. I know there's so much more here, but in a very big picture statement, this means that we're to remove people's aloneness and Jesus will remove their fallenness. We do what we can do. We remove aloneness. Jesus does what Jesus does. He takes care of their sinfulness. Jesus always will get to sin. Don't you worry about that. he's, He's got, right? The Holy Spirit will take care of that. But what do we do? We have to see people first, how Jesus sees them. See, I have a friend who tells a story about helping somebody belong. A woman had gone to a priest because she struggled with her past and she'd been divorced and it was a bad divorce. And she went to the priest to ask the priest to forgive her because of the divorce. The priest said he would not and could not forgive her. She left feeling hopeless and condemned and alone. And then she came to a church like ours and she was loved and she was accepted and she was welcomed and she heard a message that yes, you can be forgiven, but we also know that you're alone. And they embraced her and loved her and she gave her life to Jesus. Let me ask you a question. What's it mean to you when you find out that you really do belong no matter what you've done? It changes everything. If we're gonna be a church that provides a place for people to belong, we first have to start seeing people as Jesus sees them. So let me ask you, who do you need to start seeing differently? I mean, who is it in your world, in your sphere of influence that you need to see differently? What mistakes in people's lives are you not willing to look past to get to their aloneness? Who needs you to see past their faults, to see past their flaws so that they can see the love of Jesus through you? Who in your life today needs more of the love of Jesus demonstrated to them? Brothers and sisters, we provide a place for people to belong when we see people the way Jesus sees them. Forgive me, my voice is hanging in there. I know it might be hard to listen to. It's not pleasing today, but y'all hang in there with me. Here's the second thing we see. We provide a place for people to belong when we meet them where they are. That's not new to you. That's your old vision said differently. I'm not recreating the wheel here. We provide a place for people to belong when we meet them where they are. I mean, Jesus heals the blind man. <laughs> and then he tells him to go wash in a body of water, and the man comes back seeing. But here's the problem nobody believes it. Nobody believes it. So people begin asking questions, pick up in verse 10. So they were saying to him, How then were your eyes opened? Verse 11. Well, the man who was called Jesus made clay, anointed my eyes, and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went away and washed, and I received my sight. (laughs) You'd think everybody would be like, Woohoo, you can see, but no one celebrates. No one celebrates. Can you imagine seeing for the first time in your life and no one celebrates that with you? Instead, they stab him in the back and they drag him before the religious people. Why? Because somebody did this on the Sabbath. I mean, can you imagine putting life as all-important on the Sabbath? I mean, what did this young man need in that moment? I mean, when he was abandoned by his parents, when he's betrayed by his friends and utterly rejected by the religious leaders, what did he need? what he needed for somebody to meet him right where he was at and give him exactly what he needed. And Jesus gave him what anyone who's felt rejected, abandoned, and betrayed would need. Jesus gave this man acceptance. You see, if Jesus would have wanted, if this man would have needed some, some, some kind of like encouragement, I'm sure Jesus would have given him that. But, but let's look in the story. Let's just see how it works out. Verse 13, they brought the man to the Pharisees, the man who was formerly blind. Now, it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes, right? So here we got this irrelevant religion, right? We've got people who need to be celebrated. And like I told you before, even people can be alone when they're having a good time. You can't celebrate alone, it's no fun. You need to be celebrating together. And here there's irrelevant religion at its best. Instead of celebrating that this man could see because of the kindness of God... Because of the healing of God, they condemn him for being healed on a Sabbath. It's kind of like this. If you come to know Jesus today, going home and people saying, why'd you get saved on a Sunday? I mean, don't you know that's the Lord's Day? They shouldn't be working up there at that church. This is crazy. Verse 15 picked back up. Then the Pharisees were asking him again how he received his sight. Then he said to them, he applied clay to my eyes, I wash and I see. (laughs) Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. Oh, that, that's a real winner. But others were saying, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said to the blind man again, why do you say about him, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, well, he's a prophet. Then the Jews do not believe it of him that he'd been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of the very one who had received his sight. So check this out. His friends got to betray him and the religious, now they just totally reject him and they throw him in front of his parents, verse 19. And they questioned him saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? His parents answered and said, we, don't, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we don't know. Or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. Do, do you see this? His friends betray him. The religious people totally reject him, and now his parents abandon him. The religious people decide to give him one more chance. Okay, you've got one more chance to explain away what's happened to you. You've got one more chance to change your story. To so pick up in verse 26. So they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them. It's, just, it's like on TV, right? I told you already, and you do not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You don't want to become his disciples too, do you? That's a good question. That's a really good question. They reviled him and said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that what God has spoken to Moses, but for this man, we don't know where he's from. The man answered and said, well, here's an amazing thing. You don't know where he's from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. Since the beginning of time, it's never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, you were born entirely in sins and you're teaching us, and they put him out. Can you imagine the aloneness this guy feels? Completely rejected, completely abandoned, completely betrayed. Praise God that Jesus sees us differently and that he meets us where we're at because verse 35 says this and Jesus heard that they had put him out and finding him <laughs> when Jesus heard that this blind man didn't belong that he had been rejected betrayed and abandoned abandoned Jesus goes and finds him <laughs> this is awesome i mean if 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 this man needed anything in that moment, it was acceptance. And Jesus came and just accepted him right where he was at in the middle of everything. But, but you see, if Jesus would have known that this man needed encouragement like we did this morning, he would have encouraged him. If he had needed support, he would have supported him. But Jesus meets us right where we're at, and this man needed to be accepted. So Jesus met him right where he was. And if we're ever going to provide a place for people to belong, we've got to see people how Jesus sees them and then meet them right where they are at their point of need. That's exactly what Jesus did. Here's something listen to me. I know, I know sometimes my message can be miscommunicated. Trust me, I'm working on my part. Sometimes I think it can be misunderstood, and that's why I want you to to work on your part. Listen carefully to me what I'm about to say. This is so hard for people to understand, and it's harder for us to do, but Jesus lived with the perfect tension. This perfect tension between not condoning people's sin and yet not condemning them either. Jesus lived with that tension. It is hard to say, yes, what you're doing, I know it's not right, but I don't condemn you for it. It is so hard, but Jesus did it. And we have to as well. We're not saying that we agree that what you're doing is right, but we're saying we know that you matter, and our job is to reach out to you and love you so that you can see the love of Jesus through us. Somebody in your head, I know you're already thinking, but where do we put truth in? Hang on. Here's what I want to tell you today. If you ever wrote something down, maybe you want to write this one down, but I'm telling you, Jesus didn't change people so that he could love them. He loved them so that he could change them. Just here today to tell you, man, Jesus didn't change people so that then he could love them. He starts with loving them, and they will eventually change. Jesus gave people a place to belong before they ever believed. During the tornado this week, as I'm sure it was on your mind too, had someone tell me that they went to check on someone that lived near them. was somebody in their neighborhood and it was a younger couple with a newborn in the house. This couple with the newborn, their house had been flooded by all the water coming down the street. This person in our church went to check on them and wanted to offer for the couple to stay in their house to get out of the water to make it a safer place for the newborn. So they knocked on the door and they kind of opened it up and they went inside and immediately they saw something that startled them. They saw a couple that was of the same gender. This person, like many of us, began having crazy thoughts go through their head. Then the Holy Spirit spoke to their heart and said, these people need help. So they invited them to come to their house anyway. Can I tell you, that's exactly what Jesus would have done. He saw people at their point of need, and he saw them as image bearers, and they mattered. And it did not matter what they were doing in that moment. Their need was they needed to get out of the storm. And if we're going to help people have a place to belong, we have got to meet people where they are. You see, the Bible says in John 3, 16 and 17, this is news for some people. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We've got that one down. But look at verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. You see, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And he understood that people who are far from God live like people who are far from God. Jesus was not shocked at people's sin. He was broken over it. That kind of love and that kind of brokenness drives us to find those who are far from God. And it will drive us to people who are far from God, just like it drove Jesus to find this blind man. So let me ask you the question, where are you going intentionally to meet people who are far from God? Who are the people in your life that you can now just say, I just want to meet you where you are and just give you what you need? Sometimes what people, I know you're going to, I'm just going to say it. I'm tired of the, I'm just going to say it. Sometimes what people need is not a sermon. They need a servant. Sometimes God wants you to love them first before you can lead them to him. I'm just trying to tell you, sometimes that's the way he rolls. In July, the 25th through the 31st, we're gonna be going down to the valley in McAllen and a few other places on mission and we're gonna be reaching those who live there. There's some Spanish-speaking peoples, man, that we're gonna go, we're gonna be taking up some backpack supplies and some hygiene kits and going out to reach people who live in the McAllen area. It's going to be awesome. And then we're also going to go over to the bus station and help all those illegals who are coming across the border. You know why? Because we've got to see them how Jesus sees them. We've got to meet them right where they are. And I have an interest meeting on that on June the 6th at 5 p.m. over in the discipleship building in the cafe area. I want to tell you something else why we do what we do. You know why we do the marriage workshops? You know why we do date nights here? Because we're trying to reach as many people as we can. And the truth is, for most people that come to date nights and for most people that come to the workshops, the most people that you know out there in the community that we're trying to reach, most of them are just simply living together. Some of them are cheating on each other. Some of them are not making good choices in a mate. And the reason we do marriage workshops is to provide them a place to belong, to see them as Jesus sees them, to meet them right where they're at. That's why we do what we do. You see, we help people belong when we meet them where we're at. And as we do, here's where the last principle arises. We provide a place for people to belong when we give them an opportunity to believe. We provide a place for people to belong when we give them an opportunity to believe because look in verse 35. (coughs) Excuse me. Jesus heard that they had put him out and finding him, he said, do you believe? In the Son of Man. (laughs) Who is he, Lord? Who is he that I might believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe and he worshiped him. See, when you help people belong, you help people believe. That's all I'm trying to say. It's taken me a very long time to get there, and I bet many Other believers struggle with this, but I find it hard sometimes to accept people at their point of failure. I would rather tell them a thousand Bible verses about how they're to get right rather than to love them right where they're at. See, I'm called to love and to accept people who don't look like me, who don't believe like me, who don't act like me, and definitely who don't vote about like me. I'm called to love those kind of people and accept them. You're saying, well, how do you know that? Well, because Romans 15, 7 tells me so. Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. See, let me tell you something. You, you, you may not see it, but I need you to hear this. At the heart of belonging, listen to me, hear me well. At the heart of belonging is redemption. At the heart of accepting people is redemption. Jesus didn't just accept us to accept us. He accepted us to bring us back to God so that we could bring praise to God. To accept means to bring somebody to yourself. And as we accept people as Jesus accepted people, and by the way, when did Jesus accept us? At our best or at our worst? And when when we accept people the way Jesus accepted us, at our worst, it draws attention and glory to God so that those who are without hope, those who are stuck in their sin, their past, those people who are out there failing in life, that when they see that we accept them the way Jesus did, they can find their way to God through Jesus through us. Now, let me be clear. Let me be crystal clear. Can I say it one more time? Let me be utterly clear. We can never simply love people without telling them the truth. We have to give a verbal proclamation of the gospel. Christ helped people belong so they could believe, and I'm just wanting to follow his example. Sometimes we struggle with giving people opportunities to believe. And I want you to know today, Milton Berle, a comedian, once said it this way. He said, if an opportunity doesn't knock, then just build a door. You see, by seeing people as Jesus sees them and meeting them where they are, you are building a door. This week as that tornado rang around and there was rain coming like crazy, I began to think a lot about where I used to live back in North Carolina. And I have been through some major hurricanes. And at one time I remember we were living in Lenore and a major hurricane came through and flooded everything like middle of North Carolina all the way back to the coast. And our church went on several mission trips helping people rebuild their homes. And as we were there, helping them just rebuild their homes, just going in, feeding them, doing whatever we could. We had no professional help. We just showed up and loved people. They would always ask us, why are you doing this? That's the only door we needed. Because we see you as Jesus sees you, that you're loved, And we want to meet you at your point of need because we want to give you an opportunity to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. You see, I want to tell you something, but we have to be willing to go, right? John 20, 21, the Bible tells us, in John 20, 21, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me. I also sent you. Jesus was willing to leave where he was and go to the place where we are. What I believe has happened in the church far too long is simply this. We have focused on isolation rather than incarnation. We'd rather isolate ourselves from people out there that are doing what they do than incarnate ourselves into their world. And if we come just telling them, you know, just preaching a hellfire and brimstone message to everybody that we preach, I'm telling you, they're not gonna listen and we're just gonna continue to isolate. We get in our Christian bubbles and we just isolate, isolate, isolate when the mission and the text of the Bible is clear that we are to incarnate ourselves in the lives of people. We'd rather keep away from those kind of people instead of eating with them. We'd rather keep away from those kind of people than having them enter our home. No wonder we're not reaching the world. 1 Thessalonians 2 verse eight says it this way. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel, but also our own lives because you have become so very dear to us. Yes, the gospel. God knows it's the gospel, but it has to also be our lives. People will believe more often when they see what we believe more often. Did you get that? People will believe more often when they see what we believe more often. We help people belong when they are convinced that we are more burdened about meeting them at the point of their need than judging them for their deeds. If the only time I ever take to talk to my, to my neighbor and my coworker, if the only time I ever talk to them is to invite them to church, which I hope you're doing, but if that's the only time I really talk to people is to just tell them, hey, you need to come to church, you need to stop doing that and start doing this, that's not helping them take a step closer to Jesus. Have them over for dinner. Take them out to coffee. Help them belong so you can help them believe. You see, we help people belong when we see them as Jesus sees them. We meet them where they are, and we give them an opportunity to believe. Jeremy, if you guys would come. You see, it's said that in the Second World War, some soldiers serving in France wanted to bury a friend and a fellow soldier who had been killed. And being in a foreign country, they had wanted to ensure their fallen comrade had a proper burial. And they found a, a well-kept cemetery with an, a low stone wall around it. It's a picturesque little church and had this very peaceful outlook with it. This was just a place to bury their friend. But when they approached the cemetery, a church leader told them that unless their friend was a member of that church, he couldn't be buried in the cemetery. Well, of course he wasn't. Sensing the soldiers' disappointment, the church leader showed them a spot just outside the cemetery, outside the fence, where they could bury their friend. Reluctantly, they did so. The next day, the soldiers returned to pay their final respects to their fallen friend, but they could not find his grave. Surely we were mistaken. I mean, it was just right here, confused, they approached the church leader who took them to a spot inside the fence. And he said, Last night I couldn't sleep. I was troubled that your friend had to be buried outside the fence. So I got up and I simply moved the fence. Beloved, that's what it looks like to help people belong. When people feel like they're outside the fence when they feel like they're not part of the group, when they sense that they're not welcome, when they sense that they're not good enough, you and I simply just move the fence. So who is it in your circle of influence? I mean, you middle schoolers, listen to me. You elementary school, listen to me. Who is it that's in your school that just doesn't seem to fit? I mean, who is it that's always on the playground playing by themselves? Who's at lunch and everybody always makes fun of them? Church, who can you invite into your group? Men, who are the men in the church that don't seem to fit in? How can we help them? Ladies, who are the, the people that are never on your text group that you now think maybe you can invite them in? Who is it that you can help belong so that we can help them believe? So We're gonna pray in just a moment. And when we do, I really would pray and ask you to search the Lord's heart about if he's laid somebody on your heart that you can help belong. Who is it that you need to make feel like they belong? That's what you should be doing there in this invitation is praying to the Lord and saying, God, who is it? Who's that one that I need to help belong? And then there's also somebody else I want to speak here today. Maybe, maybe today is the, the day and the only time you'll ever have an opportunity to believe in the life-changing gospel of Jesus. You see, the text here is talking about spiritual blindness more than it's talking about physical blindness. This man was born blind, and I need you to know today that you were born into sin. You're a sinner by choice, but you're also a sinner by birth. There's nothing you and I can ever do to change that. We are born sinners. Unless Jesus comes and heals us, we will never see. Can I challenge you today to experience what this blind man experienced? He said, I don't know how, but I once was blind. <laughs> but now I see. Isn't that what amazing grace does? That's what amazing grace does. Grace comes into our life and says, I know you're blind, but I want to help you see. And today, beloved, if you have never given your life to Jesus, if you've never called upon him to forgive you of your sin. If you've never put your faith that he died on a cross to pay for your sin, because the wages of sin is death. You're gonna die as, as sure as I'm standing here. We're all gonna die. But the gift of life is in him. And if you've never trusted that he died for you, was buried and raised to give you life, today is a great day. This is an opportunity for you to believe. Do you wanna see today? You want to see the kingdom of God? You want to see God as your father? You want to see you new? Has God made you to be a new creation in Christ? The past all gone, the past all hitting, the future as bright as the promises of God. You want to see that? Well, today there are going to be some men and women that will come up here after we say the prayer and we're singing. You just grab us by the hand and say, man, I need to see. we pray with you. I want if you'd stand to your feet. We'll pray. We'll sing. And you come.